1: This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers. Long day, late night, feeling a little bored. Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit slash Twizzlers. And.
2: ACTION! Hello and welcome to episode 335 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk... Filmmaking. From indie film, to TV, to commercials, to documentaries, to animation, studio films and... Everything in between. How to get them made how to make your films uh how to get them made and how
3: to try not to royally eff them up
2: in our very very humble opinion
3: this is giles alderson hello he is the director of the dare arthur and merlin wolves of war stranger in our bed and more he's also the producer of followers repeat a serial killer's guide to life and three-day millionaire and this is Dom Lemoir it is
2: He is the director of three feature films, including Winter Ridge. He's also produced the feature films, Soundtrack to 16, I Love My Mum, The Unreason, and When the Screaming Starts. There we go. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Not that you tuned in. This isn't a radio. This is a podcast all about filmmaking and how to get them done. And on today's show, we have The Last of Us, cinematographer, Evan Bolter He was absolutely fantastic, Dom. What did we talk about with the absolutely delightful Evan?
3: We talked about working in collaboration with crew, the art of filmmaking, and making 150 shorts. And I'm not talking about short shorts.
2: We also talked about why there is no magic formula. Um, to making film, why it's the director's job to get the first vision across, and he talks about the process of making The Last of Us. The Last of Us is out now on HBO and on Sky. If you haven't heard of this,
3: what are you doing? It's a huge computer game. It's one of the best narrative storytelling video games I, I would say that's ever been ever been created, and anyone that's in film or TV or, or you know any kind of written medium who still thinks of, of video games as, as something that you sort of play with your kids, really needs to look at, like, the level of storytelling that, that goes on in those games and how well HBO have adapted to The Last of Us. And
2: they really have. It's an incredible, incredible series. Some of them are standalone pieces, which Eben talks about on this episode. Look, Eben has been around, and he, like I say, Dom was mentioned there, he made 150 shorts, how much has he learned on that? Imagine what you could learn if you'd made that many shorts. And some of them are just getting on with it, just doing it and getting it done and learning and creating. And then, You know, the feature films he's made, he's made, God, so many feature films, uh, including The Hoarder, Chicken, Road Games, Level Up, Acres and Acres, Eyeboy, and Night Teeth. He also made the short film version of I Used to Be Famous, which was Eddie Sternberg's feature film debut Uh, He was on the podcast, what, five or six episodes ago. So it's a small world. It's a small indie filmmaking world. He has also lensed the TV series uh, The Woman in White, White Dragon, The Feed, The Girl Before, Avenue 5, uh, The Last of Us, of course, and very recently, Secret Invasion. So there we go. Right, it's um, I've got to cut this down. We talked for an hour and a half and there's so much information I don't know what I'm going to cut out because it was incredible. not cut incredible. Out any power. Well, then it's a really long episode for our listeners. Yeah, well, we can deal with that. They have those are top tips. True, amazing free facts. Thank you all for those who came down. To uh, technically, our Make Your Film event. It was the London Independent Film Festival where myself and Dom jumped on the panel for a, the filmmakers podcast sort of live. So we turned it to Make Your Film night. Thank you so much for coming down, those who did. It was a really cool event, really good. For those who um, didn't. We d-
3: <laughs> yeah. See, We know where you live. <laughs> we we, uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, we <laughs> did record it, so we might put it up as a podcast. So you might get lucky and get to hear that at some point. You um, might not. But you might not. Oh, do us a favour and go give us a nice review on um, iTunes and click the little plus button at the top there, the download button. (laughs) Yes, go just give us a review. It's it's nice. We like it. And we do this um, because we love it and it's fun, but it's always nice to get a good review. And if you really like the podcast, jump on our Patreon and chuck a couple of quid in uh, to support uh, me at my hour of need at 3 a.m. Um, on my holiday no when I'm editing this damn thing to get it up
3: 3am um, problem for you
2: that's a 3am problem for someone uh, <laughs> next week is Dexter Fletcher the amazing director of Rocket Man, and his latest film Ghosted which is out very very soon so uh, that's enough of us let's get to the episode this is Eben Poulter, the cinematographer of The Last of Us what a joy myself and Dom Noir so enjoy Hey, chaps. Hey, Ben. How are you doing? I'm good. I don't think we've met in person, Charles, right? No, No. I feel like we have, but I think I've just maybe seen you around maybe or passing or passing screening or, screening something. or yeah. talks but we haven't fully like hey buddy i'm giles and you're evan yeah that's not happened so hi i'm giles <laughs> I mean, i'm evan <laughs> <laughs> it's funny though with my with my name english people are the basically the
0: only people in the whole world you get it wrong and i think it's because they sort of overthink it because it's not a yes. normal name yeah. obviously it's not no, i feel like people no. sort of i don't know they they they, they get like they overcompensate or something. Yeah.
2: It's a great name, by the way. It is a great it's, name. When when, yeah. when I was first starting on the scene, as it were, mm. your mm. name was bounding around so many projects. Was and, it really? That's yeah. nice. Yeah. No, Evan Bolter was it. was like people yeah. were like, oh, we've got Eben Bolter doing it. Oh, Eben Bolter's on mm. this one. I was like,
3: yeah.
1: who is
0: this Eben? The, sort
3: of the hotshot on the, the short film circuit. Like, yeah. Many, many, many years it's ago. True.
0: Shorts yeah. was my. Thing. I think it was just
3: on the short film circuit. I think your name had been yeah. bandied around. Um, I think I tried to get you in a few shorts, and <laughs> you were, couldn't get you on a few shorts because you're already like, f- you know, flying away onto other stuff. But I'd, I'd always like, you know, he's one to watch. He's one to watch. And then, you know, many years later, I remember catching a shooting people event, and you, I think you, you were screening a film there, and I was like, okay, yeah, well, like, even's doing some pretty cool things by this point. It might have been around chicken. It might have been just <laughs> before chicken, and right. then flash forward, COVID, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and then it's like, oh shit, Everyone's do <laughs> <Everyone's> big time. Ebund's <laughs> wow. gone. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> ah, hard yeah, well, to be, too, to be too fair, when I when I heard you were doing Last of Us, I was, you know, I was just, it's just such a groundbreaking game that i absolutely Mm. loved playing through like both of them in fact and then just you know having sort of bumped into you and i think what what i'm excited most about this episode is that you you're not i don't want to say just a dop but you're you seem to really have a good grasp on storytelling script Mm. um and actually even direction to a degree um and you seem to have like a very you know i think you you were very privileged on this one to have a sort of all-encompassing role that spanned quite a few episodes um so mm-hmm. I, I think I think it'll be a very interesting chat which is why I'm I'm excited about this uh Yeah. This oh, <laughs> well thank you. Yeah, yeah thank
2: oh, you. pleasure. How did you get into cinematography in the first place? Cuz like I say your yeah. name mm. for me and Don was always around. You were the person who everyone wanted to try and get. And that's great. credit it's to brilliant. you because mm. you'd made some amazing shorts and then obviously moved into a lot of features and you just flew. Yeah. That's brilliant. But what was it oh, about thank you, Yeah. Yeah, um, what was it about Cameras and cinematography that you was like, This is what I want to do. Where did it start?" Yeah. So, so okay.
0: My, my. I'll be as brief as I can. Life story. Oh, well, um, it's a podcast. I... You're all right. Do what you want. I'll cut it out.
2: <laughs> you
1: got <a> day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Joel, Joel has to edit it.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's my time. <laughs> You're <Secondary> wasting. I not <laughs> <laughs> Um.
0: So, I, I, I mean, I, I was a film lover as early as I can remember. I, I think yeah. you know, I was a Spielberg kid. Um. Oh, I think good. I, dis- I discovered cinema on VHS, really, I think, you know, mm-hmm. Raiders of the Lost Ark, The Goonies. Oh yeah, that's what um, I started as well,
3: yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Right, That that it was Blockbuster Video, Every Friday, Back to the Future. It was that kind of Amblin era, early videotape. I, I just couldn't get enough of, mm-hmm. of that. I didn't understand it, really. I didn't know what I was watching. I definitely didn't know what a director was. Um, and that was sort of solidified, uh, well, you know, my parents are pretty good at taking me to the cinema, like at family trips to the cinema. Um, I think the film that really sort of was like, I love movies was Jurassic park. I think I was mm. 10 years old when mm. that came out. Um, right. I'm born in 1983, it was 1993, um, Jurassic park in the cinema. I just remember sat next to my sister who's three years younger than me. And I remember feeling how scared she was (laughs) and thinking i have to pretend to not be scared (laughs) because i'm the big brother and i just remember like being so scared sat there in the cinema age 10 of the sound of the dinosaurs of everything and i just remember being very like affected by it and like i just walked out of there sort of changed you know it just really did something to me Um, And that's when I think I was like, I love movies. I want that feeling again and again and again. I just want to keep going. And and there's all kinds of weird films along the way that I sort of got obsessed with, like Stargate one oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember that in school SG- yeah watching that every night Nine? in school
2: yeah yeah it drew you in didn't it it's
0: really cool. something something otherworldly and cinematic mm. about it that at the yeah. time my, my age i'd never seen anything like it and that's kind of you know the beauty of cinema and how stories are reinvented
3: that it yeah. i'm sure it rips off so much other stuff but to of me course. as an eleven year old it was the greatest yeah. film ever made you yeah. know yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Just watched yeah. so many amazing Hollywood films growing up um yeah how, how did yeah. you how did you go from that to picking up a camera and this is a career for me
0: yeah so I I knew I wanted to do something to do with cinema but I was a bit I wasn't great at school college I kind of was good enough to just get through and but I always was like how am I gonna do something with film and I I, I got into, I, I went to university and studied business. Um, and the, the reason for that was I was like, maybe I could own a cinema one day, or maybe I could get into sales and distribution. And I started to understand the film industry from a business perspective. So mm. I was like, maybe I'll end up a producer. Maybe I'll get into sales, maybe distribution, maybe exhibitions, something to do with films, but, but like a job is kind of yes. where my head was. Got because, because st- then, to me, you know, the art of making movies was was absolute magic. You know, mm-hmm. I, I had no comprehension of where you even remotely begin with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I just never even considered it. Um, and so, yeah, went down that rabbit hole of business studies. Um, I need to sort of speed up my life story, but I uh, no, I ended worry. up living. Um, when I graduated university I ended up living in Tokyo for two years um, huh. and and that again was really because I, I was trying to get a job working in sales and extra, like everything I was saying, and I kind of couldn't find anything there's not enough of those jobs around so I was like you know what I'm just gonna go live in Japan I want to go so, like fit out of water learn another language mm-hmm. I wanted to travel but I couldn't really afford to travel so I was like I'm gonna go live there and just sort of figure it out so I ended up in sales in Tokyo, I, I was what? selling English advertising for a Japanese magazine, and then I was a headhunter at Morgan McKinley uh, in recruitment, completely like another me. Um, oh, like, all like the a samurai while, Samurai headhunter.
3: <laughs> well,
0: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was it was less fun than that. That's, that's right, a, that's right, yeah, I mean, um, <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: but then was really getting into photography. Like I've always been a bit of a geek, okay. and always been into technology, mm. really into mm, photography. Right, okay. And I found myself owning a Canon 5D Mark II at the yes. absolute Love perfect it. time yeah. when that very first firmware update came out and they had video mode. I, yeah, I like the 12 the minute in my version. Hand. Was
2: it 12 minutes? Yeah, yes, yes. that
0: really well, yeah. And, yeah. you know, I downloaded it and I was like, my camera, my lenses, and suddenly I can film, you know? Mm. And I genuinely, it was as dumb a revelation as that where I was like, wait a minute, like, I, I, I know cinema, I know shot. I know, I know, like, you know, and I just sort of started to do these little kind of documentary films around Tokyo and Tokyo is a pretty good looking place to be, yeah, you know, you've got nature. Horrible, you've got, yeah. It too. yeah, it's pretty good. Um, And sort of slowly but surely figured out what a DP was. And it was like a revelation of like, well, I think I can maybe do that. Like, like, obviously I've got like a, a lifetime of knowledge to learn, but like, I, I kind of feel like that might be a thing I can do. So moved back to London and I basically, um, if one one thing Japan really gave me was a a sense of their kind of ethos as a nation for just working hard. You know, they're such a hardworking nation and it really rubbed off on me. So when I got back, I was like, right, I think I was about 24 at this point. And it was like, clock's ticking. I haven't been to film school. I need to be a DP. I need to start shooting. So it was just a kind of all out aggressive, I'm going to just, shoot and learn and read books and watch youtube videos and just do everything possible to give me, myself the best chance of being a cinematographer um and i just started doing short films so i'd, I'd go on film and tv pro productionbase.com and mandy.com and You're anything advertising going. yeah anything advertising for a dp i'd be like here i am uh, it didn't matter wow. what it was paid unpaid whatever and my kind of rule to myself was any money that i earned i would reinvest into kit so you know the 5d Mm -hmm. i got more lenses i got a tripod i got a slider and i I got a part-time job well actually a full-time job but that was very flexible at a location company which also gave me like a mini foot in the door for going to visit pinewood and meeting a few more respectable Mm -hmm. film people And honestly, I just like hustled like hell. It was just a case of just shoot, 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 learn on every single job. Um, a few people said, you know, you should be a, an AC, a trainee. I tried to do that. I was terrible at it because I was already (laughs) had my eyes on the monitor. I was already thinking, why
2: are they, I mean,
0: and it's not that I was good. It was that I just, I'd started being a cinematographer and I, I couldn't face going backwards. I was like, yeah, "Yeah, I am a Mm -hmm. DP I'm, I'm Mm -hmm. a terrible DP, but I'm going to get better on every job (laughs) and I'm going (laughs) to keep deep learning and genuinely I've just never stopped I I I've done over 100 shorts and you know that leads to a feature Whoa. that leads to an agent um yeah I've done 120 hell.
3: you've done that's 100 absolutely outrageous that's why we've heard yeah. of you that's why yeah, everyone yeah. in the business <laughs> had heard you 120
2: <laughs> shorts later yeah. someone's going to mention your name yeah yeah, yeah. I mean that's that is ludicrous
0: I mean, that is ludicrous yeah I yeah. I put together a list um about like Five six years ago, uh, and, and then the I got around then. around one hundred and twenty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's probably like seventy that you could watch, and probably yeah. about fifty that are like you know, please don't. not really, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. things I shot, and,
2: not on the real anymore, yeah. Yeah,
3: it's a it's a really interesting, you know, what you talk about. because I think there's a lot of parallels to directors as well, um, but you know, it, it's kind of the same for both careers. A lot of people do go in the runner route and they they work up through you know through that route and then they go in to be trainee and then they do that but it doesn't yeah. fit everyone it doesn't fit everyone's personality, especially for people that yeah. are like you know very independent very sort of um think outside the box like you know they, they work mm-hmm. in their own kind of way. I think you know sometimes making your own stuff and learning to be good and then sort of integrating i mean that's kind of what I did as a, as a director is i you know I started in mm-hmm. camera as well, I started shooting stuff, I did a few camera jobs, but then I was like i'm going to get up to a point where I can shoot good films and then i'm I sort of started to reintegrate into into the crew because it's it's quite a hard system if you do kind of know what you're doing like you know when you mm-hmm. when you're qualified to then go back down because it's it is very hierarchical um yeah. That's true, yeah. So, I mean, how, how did you start to build, like, your first AC, your your team? Was it by employing them yourself, or was it, you know, did you have to sort of shuffle into the, the system in a way at some point?
0: I think as I naturally got bigger jobs, you know, I, I never had, like, a ginormous jump. Um, I'd say the biggest jump I ever had was a movie called Confine, um, because it was a studio feature with a like a tiny budget but a budget and and kind of you know well yeah known actors and we were going to shoot on Alexa and that was my first I think it was probably my fourth feature but the features before that were like zero budget you know DSLR Mm -hmm. and and getting that job was the first time I was like oh holy shit like uh, am I going to get found out here because this is like a big step up I've got a gaffer now I've got you know and and you just sort of I I find you just sort of grow into it because because what I realized early on is anytime you do have crew at first you know I felt I think it's easy to feel defensive and like you need to impress them and like Mm -hmm. they're gonna be like who's this imposter but the truth is they want to help you and they're there to help you. And there's nothing better to like, you know, this is just a a major filmmaking philosophy about collaboration is if you're just honest and open with people and say, look, I've never done this before. What are we going to do? They will step up and pick you up and help you. And I've just always approached things that way. It's like, it's okay to have not done something before because on almost every single project we do, something's different. An actor's style is different. The room is different. The wallpaper is different. Whatever it is, there's always like a variable that this is new. And you just, you just sort of, I think, learn to embrace that and be honest about that and you're like well I've done something similar and this is what I'm thinking and what do you think and all these people just help you so it gets you know things get harder and things get easier the bigger your crew the more people are there to help you of course there's more responsibility there's more money La la la. you know all of these things have a sort of pros and cons it's easier it's harder it's all it's all filmmaking you know and I think all of us are just sort of figuring it out on every job there's no like magic formula where it's like you know got it um i think like Deakins said like when he was um in his late 60s i think he'd just done no country for old men he was like i feel like now i've like started i've like huh. figured out a lot of stuff and yes. now i'm a dp and this is after like you know 11 oscar nominations and, it's Deakins, <laughs> you know? and i kind of i do get that because i just feel like there are so many variables and so much to learn that it's sort of silly to pretend you know it all because you don't mm. <laughs> you know mm. spielberg doesn't know it all like, he, like scorsese doesn't know it all they're absolutely incredible magicians masters but everything's evolving and changing the world changing the whole time so what the art that you're putting into that world has to change and has to evolve you, you can't just stay the same and, and, and go oh, i've figured this out it's easy here's the formula follow me it just doesn't work like that
2: no, I, I love you said that. It's so true. Yeah. You know, there's people who've been in this job or in this world, in filmmaking world, especially gaffers, grips, focus pullers, way mm. longer than certainly most directors. Directors come in, you know, you might be lucky to make six films, big ones <laughs> in your lifetime. And, yeah. you know, there's a crew around you, know what they're doing. You can ask for help. And so many people, I feel, get mm. scared by that. And I love yeah. the fact that you just said that. And yeah, good. you know mm. what? help me out a little i think it might be this what do you think and that's the best way when people come in bullish everyone just goes yeah but <laughs> i did this yeah. last week on an advert it's no good yeah. <laughs> yeah i suppose let's talk about you know the bigger work as well now and you know that that yeah. journey is amazing and and what you're saying there about keeping going pushing all the time trying to collaborate with new people and that that's what i love about that is you mm. said you made you know you made all those shorts well within that there's going to be quite a few directors a, crew, a lot of networking isn't it a lot of networking who are going to go exactly. on to make their own stuff and they'll go oh yeah uh ebon do you fancy this ed- wow you know yeah. what i mean it's yeah. exactly, exactly the way forward rather than sitting on your laurens go no i expect better than this and something's going to yeah. come to me what it does mm. is give you no, this yeah. huge weight of Knowledge, ability—the fact that you go out there and get stuff done—is really, mm. really impressive, and it's—it's it's, that's why we'd heard your name.
0: One of the things that I think all those shorts taught me is is, is just how collaborative what we do is, and how every job is so different, and every director is different, um, every set is different, and the thing I've always—or the thing now that I—I I really just believe so strongly is as a cinematographer i'm a filmmaker and we're part of a crew and the overall job is let's make whatever this is good and my role of course as cinematographer is to help with the visual storytelling camera lighting you can break it down as much as you want you know the buck of that kind of does stop with me and the director um but i do but but i think you have to be self-aware or empathetic enough to understand moment by moment where I have to do more cinematography or less cinematography for the greater good of the project. Mm. And there are projects or shots or scenes where it's like, this is pure visual storytelling and we're in a wood at night and it's moonlit and there's a thunderstorm and it's going to take me three hours to light the wood. And it's all about all of that. And there are scenes where it's like, let's just forget all of the lighting plans. Let's just get two cameras, cross shoot, and let's capture this performance because that rehearsal was magic. And you just have to know, when it's that version and when it's that version and, and that's just something i yeah. think all those shorts taught me is that there's no point focusing like with tunnel vision on visuals because if you're going to hurt the overall thing like what are you doing other than making like a show reel or something like there's no point having a great shot in a bad scene um i would much rather mm. have shot a great scene mm. where people don't even think about the visuals that's a far more uh satisfying overall thing for me than objectively oh nice lighting you know that's what
3: I- and i suppose it, it is it's a very important partnership as well because and, and <clears throat> i think that was one of the things i i really enjoyed when you're sort of talking about the um you know the hbo work on on last of us was was when to step back and you know uh, some of the episodes that have been really like well um applauded um It's been, you know, incredible performances. But then when when you have the shots and they work well, the thing is you have to have the balance because if you haven't got the the performance is incredible you haven't built up the emotion with the characters uh, but then at the same time there's other shots where you might be seeing a a photo in the background or a, a bit of mood building or a bit of atmosphere yeah. it's it's all the layers of all of those things that allow you to have a shot at the end where you know they're driving away through the window or, mm. or whatever you decide to do as the sort of passing shot those are the shots that like are memorable as a visual thing yeah but they've been earned through the collaboration mm. with the storytelling from the working with the actors yeah. and the work with the visuals uh, and and it's it's so great that you've got such a keen ability to step back with that stuff uh, yeah. well thank you yeah that,
0: that's my hope definitely and I, and I think so much of that is um there's a, I've got a big thing about ambition I've been talking a lot about that and it, and it's to do with Like, what makes things, you know, now TV and cinema and everything sort of merges and becomes less one or the other. Mm. Like, what is it to be cinematic? And I think so much of that is actually just to do with ambition. It's to to sort of think about as ridiculous as it sounds, but things like Apocalypse Now, Blade Runner, 2001. And there's so much, you know, there's there's 40, 50 years of watching those films on repeat where you can still find new meaning, new detail, new stuff in the background. And that all comes from the original ambition of the piece to not be lazy, to always do more, you know, detail. All of these things matter and they don't, matter the most you know there are layers and like i say sometimes for me it's about stepping back and the performance is the most important thing but i've still done my homework we've still thought about the ambition so we've put ourselves in the best possible position to get the best performance and also have some Mm. other things that give a little bit more depth, detail or history to the piece. So it's that ambition. I think it's that, you know, the job never stops. You, you go home, you wrap, what are we doing tomorrow? And you're still, you're thinking, what can I do? Like, what was, what's, what's going to elevate this? What, what can we do more, more, more? And and I, I love that sort of hunger for, for just the ambition of a piece. So you're always trying to give it your all and not just kind of going, ah, it's two people, you know, we'll just, whatever coverage. Yeah. Let's kind of have an early lunch, you know, that's, I think you feel that I think That comes across when there when there isn't that sort Mm -hmm. of ambition at least yeah
3: so how did you end up on on that show like how did that sort of come to you Uh, because obviously you've made a few features by this point we've talked Mm -hmm. about a couple of them um we may sort of go back to a few later um but how how do you how do you end up on like one of the biggest franchises you know in the planet how did that conversation happen Mm -hmm. um did you have to actually pitch once you'd been sort of pre- you know selected Mm -hmm. or or whatever and how did you invent end up so involved in all of the show Mm -hmm. yeah so
0: um i yeah i my first tv i i i i went through a period probably seven years ago maybe of i'm a film dp and that was like i'm just going to focus on films i'm going to be a film dp and i would probably done like 14 features at this point um something like that uh (laughs) And my agent was like, you know, you really should do a TV series. (laughs) Very prolific. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, that's how I've done it. Um, Yeah. They're not all great, right? But (laughs) Don't name them now. Um, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And basically this TV series came along, which was The Woman in White. um, Mm, And it had a, a you know, it was a period drama for BBC One. And it had, and and genuinely, I was like, that's not me. I'm not going to do a period drama for for the BBC. Um, And my agent was like, well, the director's, one of the black mirror directors and it was like, huh, okay, well, that's Mm. cool. I'll go, I'll go meet the director. director Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, and we just had a great meeting where it was like, right, let's approach this, not like a sort of stiff, uh, BBC, um, period drama. Let's like, what would Fincher do? Or what would Polanski do? Or like, Mm -hmm. what could we, what prism could we see this story through? And we sort of realized that the, you know, the setting, the periodness of it is just a location. We're in Victorian London, but the story is a psychological thriller. So let's just make a psychological thriller that happens to be in Victorian London and let's go against what people are expecting to see. So wide angle lenses and, you know, sharp lenses and blah, blah, blah. We did all this stuff. So it was like, that was my way into television. That was my first TV job. And really we shot it like a five hour movie. I was very, very lucky with that. Um, mm. and then I did go on a bit of a journey with television. Uh, I was lucky mm. to be able to go up. I went to white dragon with, with yep. Paul Andrew Williams, which sort of stepped up the budget. Then I did the feed back with Carl mm. Tibbetts, which a sci-fi series for Amazon. Then I think I'm not missing anything. this then goes did to Oh, oh no that's later actually that's later it was, um, was later. Okay. yeah avenue five season one was the the big again that was my like real step up job because that was armando iannucci uh all in space they wanted a dp to do all nine episodes um at, at leavesden studios massive budget you know infinite sets i can't even remember a hundred or something sets the huge, huge, huge
3: <laughs> one for every yeah, short. Say, it's not <laughs> yeah, enough. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> You've done more shorts than that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um but that was a real
0: like test of everything I'd learned to this point. It was a year-long job and hbo are wow. uh, you know the pinnacle of television in my opinion. And um I, I agree. I, I that's why yeah, that job really was a big breakthrough. Um and did you pitch on that as well? No, yeah. I I got the meeting through my agent and mm-hmm. I um I got off at the wrong bus stop. Why did? Why was I on the bus? I can't remember. Why were we on a I, bus? I, I, yeah, I, I, I got <laughs> off at Leavesden. I think I was in Manchester shooting the feed, and I had taken the train down because my you
3: took a mega, and bus, and it was like, mega that, bus. It was, it but, was three quid yeah, at the
0: time. This is, this is like a <laughs> recovering of memory. But I think <laughs> yes. my car had broken down, and I had one day off, uh, and I'd I'd figured out I could get the train and then a bus or a ta- no a taxi. It was a taxi? It was a train yeah. then a taxi. And anyway, it. I was I was. I was last minute going to make it in time to meet Armando to have my interview for Avenue 5. And I got out at Leavesden Studios, but they had dropped me off at the Harry Potter entrance, oh, which is like gosh. a 15, uh, 20, 20 minute walk from the actual studios. Damn, damn so I had to like run. Uh, yeah. So there's me running down the road and I turn up at Leavesden sweating, <laughs> disheveled. It was awful. Uh, and luckily Armando was running a tiny bit late, so it wasn't oh, bad God. that I was a tiny bit late. And anyway, we had like a two-hour interview. Uh, the production designer, Simon Bowles, was, showed me around the set. It was just this like amazing Bold over he over there he goes uh, <laughs> um he uh it was an amazing interview and I somehow got the job uh you know I, I think my sort of passion for science fiction and, and just visual storytelling came across and I mean Armando got on well so
2: at that point are you putting images forward are you doing mood decks and any kind of reels are you saying it could look like this just to so we know your process when you're in a meeting yeah like that, what happens I, what does the director well,
0: want It depends. It does depend. I I, I tend to... There's a few things... I've tried different things over the years. I I think what I've settled on is is I am the the sort of cinematographer who I like to listen and react initially. I think I don't like to come in going here's my vision. Here's what I think, because I just don't think that's my job. I think I think the script has probably been around for five years before I've read it, but then the producer and the directors have got together and started to put this thing together. Then they're looking at cinematographers and I just feel like they know it better than me. And I've just read it once, probably maybe twice. And I've thought about it for five minutes um who am i to come in and go this is how to shoot it and maybe there's the rare exception where it's like look i've got an idea and like let me just put that out there but often i would just want to talk about it often i'm like so, so with this it's like okay armando has a style he has a kind of docu zoom lenses handheld thing which he does cross shooting no rehearsals he's got all of these things that he's famous for for thick of it and veep um, but he's also done recently mm. movies like Death of Stalin uh, and Copperfield where he's being more cinematic. So here we are with a comedy again, but we're on a spaceship. So it was a lot of sort of questions and maybe leading questions where it's sort of a case of I'm saying, well, what if on the spaceship we're a bit more serene and cinematic and steady cam and dolly and sh- a bit more shoddy, but down on Earth we're thick of it, we're chaos, we're zoom lenses, we're handheld. And he seemed to like that as a high concept. And, and to be honest, I, I can't mm. even... I don't, it's not like I want to take credit for that. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was a discussion back and forth and you sort of end up yeah. going, yeah. And, and that really is my process. I just like to sort of talk about things and be open and, and throw ideas out there. But if a director says, oh, no, I think it's this... I want to go down that road i don't want to sort of be be creating my own doors i, I want to go through their door and, and let's let's figure this out mm. together so often i think it's great when you're in that kind of pocket of creativity where you can't actually remember whose idea things were it doesn't really mm, matter it's, you, yeah, it's, it's just good. a case of like
3: it's just like <laughs> yeah, don't, be, don't be that guy like oh, yeah it was that was mine yeah no yeah exactly it, like who cares? Yeah. who cares we've ended oh, yeah, up in a good place
0: yeah. um yeah so yeah. Yeah. That, but then, you know, I have occasionally pitched. I have occasionally gone. Usually my pitches these days are, I've done one recently where it was a case of a, quite a big job that they were looking at a lot of people and the director said, you know, just send me what you think would be interesting. And so I kind of What I did in this one was take things I'd already done and said, like, these are elements of things I've done before and I'd love to bring them together, but also put in this new concept and Mm, offer that to this project as an idea for what the visual storytelling could be. But always with the disclaimer that, This is just my initial idea and this is what i've done to date but everything i do i try to be a chameleon i try to shift you know my last two projects are the last of us and secret invasion for marvel and they Mm. couldn't be more different and i'm still me so that's the sort of dp i am Mm. is i try to shape shift i don't kind of go this is what it's going to look like because i'm me that's that's Mm. just not what i do yeah
1: this episode is brought to you by twizzlers long day late night
3: I suppose it's working to storytelling. Like, I mean yeah. it sort of comes down to the script a script again, doesn't it? And it's yeah. like looking at what is the script trying to say, like what we how are we trying to show the characters. Yes. It's not like I'm a okay, I'm I'm a I, I'm gonna throw some style onto this because no, exactly. that's, that's what a cool D P mm, would do. Exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. Like, it's I mean, you're adapting and you're transforming with the script and the, you know, the team um mm-hmm. for sure so I'm, I'm guessing that you obviously you'd won some brownie points with hbo for doing that avenue
2: show. five yeah
3: I, is that is that how is that how that then led, led on to yeah uh, sorry
0: uh, I, w- I got sidetracked that was a great that was <laughs> <Yes>. great <laughs> yes. intro Almost, that, really all my stories are long but yeah so i i went and did a netflix movie i did the girl before which was a, an, another hbo miniseries um and then, oh, right. um, I'd heard basically that The Last of Us was happening. I heard it was HBO and I basically put it to my agent that this is a dream job and anything she could do. This is, this is Melanie, uh, um, Gersh in uh, America, my American agent. And I was like, you know, this truly is a dream job. And I, I just, I've loved the game for 10 years now. I I, mm. I know the game and I just feel like I've put together the tools over the years where I've got a really good chance of. Of offering them something, and I just love to be able to talk to them. Um, and she just pulled off like a crazy miracle. Like uh, apparently they looked at like two hundred and something DPs, wow. and then and then spoke to wow. they spoke to three allegedly um and so the last of us uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. um, and, and i don't really know the ins and outs of the process to be honest but i do but but i had a great zoom with, with neil with craig with some of the other producers and mm. they already had this like visual lookbook pdf thing that they'd created and really it was a case of talking about the approach and what would be wrong and you know i i felt that i knew mm. what would be wrong like if we over slick this in a sort of glossy Hollywood way it's not going to feel correct and and you know it was just going through all of the things that didn't feel right and loads of that came from Craig and uh, you know everything Craig was saying I was like yes they're nailing it like even if I don't get this like they're nailing it I was so it was such a great mm-hmm. call as just a fan of the series of the game where I was like they're nailing it like I, I I would be so lucky to be on this but even if I'm not I can't wait to watch it because everything he's saying is just great you know and that it was that kind of interview so um yeah i i, I got the job and i couldn't really believe it um
3: so, so I, well, I mean i suppose maybe. i suppose it's a collection of everything you've done with your work but it's also again it comes down to being collaborator yes yeah <laughs> being, Collaborative. You know, being being someone that, that is like speaking <laughs> speaking their <laughs> speaking their language yeah. i mean so many so many so i'm not going to name them but mm. there's been some very big franchises that have been games that have been you know, ruined, yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely ruined. Or, you know, or films that have been turned into TV series and they've been ruined. And you watch it as a fan of said film or said, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, video game adaption, and you just think this has not captured the the essence, yeah. you know, the feel of what it is at all. It, it's tried to put like some kind of gloss over it. Mm-hmm. It's tried to make it fancy. It's tried to you know make some kind of statement that isn't actually authentic to to what it is. Mm. And this one felt incredibly authentic, even even when it diverted. Yeah. It felt like someone that really cared about drama. Yeah. Um. So so you know, once you once you got the job, how did those conversations start? In terms of you know, okay, you're doing these episodes, you're staying on as a a dop to sort of supervise certain bits. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you then start those conversations with showrunners and directors about how you'd like to input your um you know process into the development of those uh, those those episodes
1: yeah yeah
0: well um I mean really you know Craig Mason um showrunner you know Chernobyl um mm. is an incredible writer flash showrunner um Amazing. Neil Druckmann who wrote and directed the game also showrunner mm. also writer for the series like truly I was in with greatness they, they are they are really great um you know and those scripts are, were just magical. Like the episode three scripts, when I first oh. read it, I, I was yeah. just as as I was as flawed as people seem to be reacting to when they watch it for the first time. It's mm. all there in the script. The same song, the same. It's all there. Like it, that was a screenplay. I'd never had a, a like a final or a first. Whatever my first reading of it, I was like, "That's that's it. And it's just incredible." Mm. And so. Um, yeah, so, so i would got the job, um, and, and my role, um, my role was slightly kind of boring to get into, but basically I, I was going to be DPing multiple episodes, not entirely sure how many at this stage, but I was going to move to Canada for a year with my family directors. Mm-hmm. Some directors were going to come in with their own DP. Some directors didn't have a DP and I was going to be their DP. And it was that kind of thing. So I actually got the wow. job before Peter Hall. Um, wow. and so I got to be there whilst they were prepping episode one and kind of, Come up to speed with everything that was happening and, 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 you know, figure things out with them at, at the very beginning. And then when Peter joined, I could kind of bring him up to speed and then we could get on with making our, our film. And, and the truth is we approached each episode as like a movie. Um, we didn't, um, it wasn't a case of, it was, it was different. To, to all the other shows I've done that have a really straight line of of everything's got to be exactly the same. It was much more, OK, how do we make this the best it can be? And there were certain rules and, and you know, the, the sort of basics of how it looked were, were established. But that was more to do with what The Last of Us is and isn't. And it was more to do with Craig and Neil and what they had come up with in their in the lookbook and everything that i'd interviewed about so really me and peter could just get on with it and just start prepping and and the job was how do we not mess this up um Mm. we just it was all there on the page it was all like okay we just have to one of this and and we you know a lot of my role and peter's role and that was okay how do we how do we add just those little bits more? How do we elevate it with some visual beauty that isn't necessarily in the scripts? And, you know, we talked about weather. We talked about seasons. You know, you just find those opportunities to give it a visual flow up and down and, and find the really romantic moments to be, to be visually romantic and find the moments that are more truthful and cold. And, you know, you base that in the winter or the autumn. And that's, that was what a lot of our conversations was about. It's like the words on the page, the story, the characters are incredible. Let's just do everything else we possibly can to, to stage this in a way that just feels correct um and and effortless you know we didn't ever want to feel like we were throwing things at it that it didn't need it was how do we make this just feel like it came up a few times like a Beatles song like it's always been written that way like there's no other way to do it it's there's, there's a sort of simplicity sometimes and something that's just correct and we really wanted to get into that as well
2: Amazing. Um, well, especially with episode yeah. three, because it is mm. it's yeah. its own story in itself, and obviously a lot of the episodes are anyway. But but yeah. episode three was the first one where everyone went crazy for you know, suddenly people were talking about this standalone episode, this mm. is the one. Mm. And it was your first, you know, episode on the show. How long did yeah. it take to shoot it? And did you shoot in order in any way? I mean, obviously we we it's going through a lot of time in this film, mm. and obviously they've got the big costume makeup advances and feel of it as well what what is the process of a big show like this and how they do it and the time scale well we have a a generous schedule uh compared to most tv i mean like
0: we shot for a year uh and there were nine episodes so you know the maths on that are are pretty good for a tv schedule um yes. it was roughly roughly a month to shoot roughly a month to prep each episode um okay. there was only ever one main unit if you know what i mean In, well like there was craig and neil showrunners were only ever on one set so there would always be this is this is the episode and this is what we're doing occasionally there'd be second unit or splinter unit or maybe some additional photography to to, to you know normal mm-hmm. tv stuff but, um, somebody like the A camera operator, let's say, did all 200 and whatever days. Uh, in a row. And so there was one main crew who did all the storytelling. So I got to come and go. I got to do my prep, shoot my episode and then retreat back into prep. And they just all carried on as a main unit. Wow. Um, okay. the order of the episodes, I, I, I think, I, I think HBO don't really, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'm allowed to say the order exactly. We did them. I, you know, it's just one of those, I think they want a bit of secrecy or mystery or i don't know but it wasn't we didn't do the episodes in uh one to nine order because of the weather we had to react to what was happening and so you know episodes shifted around a bit um but i can say episode three was the second episode that was shot of of the series
2: is that because Uh, you were on four five and well, Six? because then I, I obviously did three, four, your five. prep time, you did three, four, five. Yeah. So your prep yeah. time meant if they did three before two, they could be doing two while you're prepping four, right? Yeah, it was I'm like sorry, that. five. Yes, exactly. so they're prepping five. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay.
0: Um, and yeah, just weather, you know, like Canada gets cold, uh, it gets snowy. So we need that. To, we need to shoot those episodes around the winter. We got our episode in at the perfect time, episode three, because it was um, kind of going into... Uh, autumn Um, so we sort of got late summer a bit of the leaves changing and the odd Mm -hmm. cold days we kind of got to visually show three seasons uh quite easily just just based off when we shot it which was great um but so much of it is studio as well you know every single interior in in episode three is a a build um Mm -hmm. uh and the Bills town itself, we built in a field. You know, that was like, there were there were no structures there at all. Um, there was some old tarmac, but no buildings. So, um, yeah, you know, an awful lot of building, an awful lot of sets and work to try and make it feel as organic and naturalistic and found as possible.
2: With something like that, then, are you, mm. like you say, you've got a field. So now you can plan where the best place for yeah. the front door goes where the light will hit the best place. Mm, yeah, Were yeah. you thinking about that as well? Was that part of your. Oh, absolutely.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, o- obviously the art department, you know, leads yeah. those things and, and John Pano yeah. has his, his plan. And he's like, this is where I think the, uh, like the kind of roundabout thing's going to be. And I think mm-hmm. Bill's house is going to be here and me and Peter and everyone just feed into that. We start to look at, okay, where, the nighttime, the rain when the raiders come, how far how do we want him to run out of the house? Where's the perimeter of the field going to be? And you just sort of, it just starts to sh- shape shift around. But one example is we knew for the strawberries scene, we wanted to shoot it in Magic Hour. So really, it was a case of, okay, where's the sun at Magic Hour? And this is a cool, natural position for us to be. So let's put the strawberries here. And we sort of built that mini set around where the sun was in the sky, frankly um and we had the ability to do that because we knew exactly we had that script it was like this is what we're doing
2: yeah this is
0: where we're doing it and let's let's find those moments to be really specific um and i realized i didn't answer your question in terms of like continuity of the episode mm. um it kind of we just sort of did the best we could in terms of like you know you always want to shoot in continuity um there's always a sort of rhythm to to, to things and like you say with them aging you know we wanted to do the prosthetics last so Honestly, my memory is a little blurry of of how well we did that. I know that we had to come in and out of the, the studio. So we'd sometimes do exteriors and maybe we jumped a few time periods exteriors. Then we'd go back inside. And jump a few time periods and then go back you know like they were mm. two completely like like an hour and 20 minutes apart
3: uh, physically from the interior to the exterior so there was definitely a bit of back and forth because of that i suppose you're quite privileged in a way i mean i remember from the um one of the screenings of, of episode three that you you removed um part of the stairs so that you could show you know one of the scenes that was really exciting is the the flames yeah seeing them not directly but actually you know from the perspective of the room when you know the the, the sort of attacks going on on, on the the building and yeah. you said you removed something from the the stairs so you could sort of get a master shot that was you know moving without obstructions and show everything can you yeah talk about like how how that sort of well oh, part of the job i think when you've got sound stages and location is to
0: connect them and it feel uh, real you know you never want to feel like that's was there and now we're outside and we're somewhere somewhere else it's how you connect them so there's a lot of work to do with lighting and, and you know however you do it whether you're putting real trees outside of windows or it's pure green screen blue screen wh- how, whatever the approach is you're always doing a lot of work to make it feel real. But we knew that we wanted to have one scene where we physically took them out of the house outside to just blend it. And, you know, there is a VFX version of that, but this didn't feel like that didn't feel organic and and naturalistic enough. So for that fire sequence, um, we basically identified that there'd be an opportunity to come down the stairs with Murray, look out of the windows, see the flames, get the gun out of the house, go get Bill, then come back into the house and play out that moment Mm -hmm. um but we didn't have the interior of the house so we asked the art department if they could find the budget to dress exactly what we would see which is just two corners of the room just that little l and then the front door and that tiny bit of the corridor and Mm so we we really had to plan that shot out in prep and say just give us that and they they luckily were able to facilitate that for us and so the staircase is i mean there wasn't a staircase so we had to just put in a few um steps like build R- a kind of wrong. a grip tower so that the camera could come down after him a after few yeah. steps and it feel like a staircase um I and that's that. how we shot all of that it was all i mean we actually shot it kind of as a one-er never with the intention that we would use it as a one-er mm-hmm. but more just to give it that energy kind of like succession did last week of just mm-hmm. the approach to a continuous cut just gives you something um mm. even if you know you're going to cut into it i feel like there's an energy and a stage playness to it that can be totally
2: so agree yeah, especially for the actors mm. as well they're in the zone you, you yeah. feel new stuff the team they're mm. yeah. working together it feels alive and there's nothing better yeah. than being on set in that moment everything is mm. just electric in the air and it's like Absolutely. everyone's working for the same goal and it's magic yeah. when it comes off it's so good Electric defense. Yes, it was yeah. an electric defense. Mm. speaking of like like uh like you say you you shot all the interiors on sound stages talk us your process yeah. about how you would light something like that you know in terms of okay mm-hmm. are you the sun's going to be here we're going to put through the window would you like softer light would you do up lights within yeah. shots would you use bounce boards well especially on the last of us because you know that's mainly what we're talking about what was your process there and how do you like to do it
0: yes yeah, so my process on the whole show um was cinematic naturalism so try to create a naturalistic feeling reality that also happens to be cinematic okay so instead of instead of um tons of lights everywhere giving me all of this crazy hollywood sheen and it's all perfect but every single shot i have to relight it yeah. look at the room like a puzzle and what like what would be cool here like if maybe there's a hole in the ceiling and maybe the sun's coming down Mm -hmm. in a certain way and it's hitting this prop that we have it's a certain color and that's going to give a glow and that's going to do a certain thing and kind of thinking of it like a puzzle of light and what would be the believable naturalistic way to make this wide shot cinematic and how much of that is that going to hold when we go in for coverage that i don't have to do anything and it's still going to just speak that same naturalistic but cinematic language that was always my philosophy so everywhere we went every whether it's an exterior location build or whether we're on a sound stage I was always just trying to approach it from that first so Bill and Frank's house I'm just trying to say what would the reality be you know we know what the exterior looks like because we've been there So I need a really big sky, I need a big soft sky. And then we've got to determine what the weather is. Is it a sunny day? Is it a cloudy day? Is there a breeze? Is it summer, winter, autumn? All of these things feed into colour, feed into light softness, and feed into light direction. So something like their first dinner, when they're sat at that table, we knew where we wanted them to sit because there's a sort of callback to that later on for their final dinner. We wanted Mm -hmm. to have that separation either end of the table. And I knew I had those windows around, and I, I, it was a case of okay, if this is on location, where would the sun be to give me something that's going to sort of beautifully, naturalistically back and side light them, but also not look lit, just look like it. Sometimes it happens in life. You walk mm. in a room and you think, God, that looks lovely.
2: Yeah, who is this?
0: You know, yeah. that's that's yeah, and, and that yeah. even yeah. <laughs> do that, and that's the that's the feeling I was trying to create. So if you look at it like. No. What I've done is the sun is coming in and it's hitting the white tablecloth, which is then turning into a source and uplighting. And it's mm-hmm. actually kind of cutting the actors. So if you look at um, Nick Offerman, when he sat there, the hard light isn't hitting his face. It's like cutting his arm, but it's it's also hitting the table and it's giving this sort of soft uplight. So I've suddenly got hard, I've got soft, I've got side light, I've got contrast, but it all comes from one light source,
3: really. Um, and that's just it's a very Deaconsian approach, really. Yeah.
0: Conrad Hall, Roger Deakins, you know, I'm not going to lie. They're, they're, in, in, you know, heroes. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, 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 I think it's a philosophy that they use very well. And I, I try to just take that and be as naturalistic, but intentional with that as possible. So quite often, yeah, it's about not compromising the compromised lighting. You know, you want it to be mm. the, best version of something that's slightly flawed and feels naturalistic so there's you don't want to get sterile you don't want to get over lit
3: imperfect yes. beauty imperfect beauty That's a great that's way to it. Gorgeous.
0: um and uh I, I can give you another just another quick example like um in episode four where they're in the car um yes. there's they go on their road trip and we knew we had quite a lot of pages in a car and half of that is on location and half of that is on a soundstage um blue screen and so again for me the job is how do you do that so well that people can't tell the difference and the 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 trick for me is you light it in the sound stage like you are on location and without compromise so you've got to put in a really massive sky you've got to pick where the sun is and don't cheat because on location you can't cheat and then you've got to you know, not sterilize it. So you need dirty windows, you need it bouncier than you expect it to be all of these things, which on location, you might be complaining about, I wish the sun was there. And I wish it wasn't Mm -hmm. so bumpy. And I wish we could, you know, all of those things, you've got to add them. (laughs) And it feels like you're messing it up. But what you what you end up with is what you would have got on location, which is real,
3: which is always going to be better on something like this then the sterile perfect version yeah beautiful moving from this episode which is a lot of deliberate shots a lot of atmosphere you know you're sort of capturing them the, the the mood of these two guys that are you know together for a long time you know the, the world ending etc mm-hmm. there's a there's a very sort of peaceful melancholic sort of feel to it and it's, it's it's deliberately restrained to focus on performance and and some of these sort of you know iconic um, thought-provoking moments how do you keep the, the same kind of um, connection when you go to, say, episode six, where suddenly you're into aerial shots, all hells breaking loose, massive cityscapes, big sort of set pieces and action. Um, and how do you translate that so it feels authentic while still keeping it, you know, connected to the same show? Um, I, I presume you mean episode five with the with the cul-de-sac. And and yes, one. yeah, just
0: checking. No, no, you're good. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, good question. Um, so that's always to do with perspective, I think. Um, and something that's a huge, you know, that cul-de-sac sequence at the end of episode five um, has scale, has spectacle, has stunts, has action. Mm-hmm. And the key is to not slip into the way everyone else does it. So there were loads of things from Craig that were so you know, clever and helpful. You know, he didn't want to see a stunt that he'd seen before. Um, that was just sort of a baseline request. That if he's seen it before, let's do something else. So that was really helpful. Um, but yeah, for me, for shooting, it was mostly perspective. So who are we with at this point? W- what's the perspective of the story? Are we with the kids? Are we with? Are we with Ellie? Are we with Joel? Uh, you know, who is Melanie's character? How close are we to her? Just always having a character story-led perspective just gives you such a sort of easy concept for where the camera should be. And it was just a case of tracking all of that and and really doing our homework and and thinking about, okay, where is the story here? It's a standoff between here and here. If we need a wide shot, whose wide shot is that? Who are we favoring and where is it coming from? So we had the crow's nest of of Joel up there with the sniper rifle, which always gave us the ability to drop back and show us – Positions, show us scale, show us a perspective that's rooted in a character. So that's a great, you know, it's not just like a, a dream shot that's over the top and just showing off. It's like a perspective. And that's really the show. It, if, if you're ever doing anything just because it's cool or uh, looks good, it's probably wrong. Um, mm-hmm. you, you should be where the story yeah. is. You should be where the perspective is and then do the best you can with where that is. But, but story wins every time. Yeah,
2: that's ace that's really cool
0: and that and that's craig Mason. like i said i mean craig is just uh, you know a colossus of storytelling he's just so smart mm-hmm. so like hearing him talk about why is just i mean i don't know if you've heard his, his podcast but he's mm-hmm. he's, a, yeah. he's a clever man mm-hmm. I, do. I love it It's very good yeah yeah he knows so, what he's doing so, yeah, so he's with someone what like what him yeah you, you just listen you know mm-hmm. you listen and you absorb and you try to understand and then you offer solutions and, and you offer ideas that feed into what he says. But it's a it's a very it's a great process. Yeah.
2: So it sounds like, you know, you've pretty much got a month for each episode, which technically is an indie film. You mm. know, yeah. Which is yeah. incredible with what you achieve here. What happens when your backs up against mm. the wall and there is <laughs> time restraint there is an issue there is a problem how do you deal with it what's your what's been your process that you've gone that was something i did wrong but actually i've learned from it and now here's what i Mm -hmm. what i do to overcome those difficulties yeah i mean the
0: funny thing with budgets is um and this i know this is annoying like <laughs> it's it's one of these like i never want to sound like patronizing you know like it's very uh, i know what i've i've done all budget ranges all levels i've, mm, I've done it all and definitely it, I, I know i'm always aware that it sounds like a champagne problem to sort of say how hard it is on big budgets because <laughs> yeah. you do have all the crew and all the kit and all the stuff yeah, tr- yeah but the truth is like it's always kind of the same like no matter the budget no matter what you're on You're always trying to overachieve. Like the job of the filmmaker is to overachieve. If you've got a 10 million budget, you're trying to make it look like a 70 million film or more. Uh Um, if you've got a 1 million budget, you're trying to make it look like a 15 million budget film. And if you've got a 300 million budget, you're trying to make it look like a billion. And, And it's the same. Like it, of course, there are, there are luxuries to it and things that make it easier, but. Even on The Last of Us, every single day, you know, there's a, there's a bit of a struggle and the struggle is just ambition. You're just trying so hard to make this the best it can be. It's never really a case of, oh, we've got all the time and money in the world. Let's have a lovely day and put mm. our feet up. And it's just not like every day, it's like, how do we squeeze as much out of this as we possibly can? So yeah, yeah you, you just try to manage everything, you manage your time You try to manage your time effectively. You go, okay, the first scene, let's do that quickly so we can put even more time into the second scene, cause this is going to need a bit of love and care. And if we fall behind, let's do that scene last because worst case scenario, we can do that scene in two shots and that's in our back pocket. And so you're just sort of, I I always feel like, you know, that's your day, that's your budget and it's just, where are you going to spend it? And and quite often you overdo the first half of the day and you scramble to catch up in the second half of the day. And I find that that's the same on everything. Is
2: it really? I've ever done. That 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 amazes yeah, me. Yeah. I know. I, of course, yeah. it is. You know, when I've yeah, stepped up, yeah. and we've done bigger things. It's because everyone's everyone's full of happiness <laughs> yeah. at the start yeah. of the day. Well, you just <laughs> you just take longer yeah. on the start because you're like, yeah, we've got time. Yep. Let's make this mm. look good. And often, yeah. you know, you've got five minutes left at the end of the shoot day, and suddenly yep. you go right. Suddenly you get mm. this amazing set piece in in five minutes because you've got to cut out. You go, well, we can't do all mm. those. Yep. We haven't got time. I'm doing it this way now. That's and mm. the fact that that happens and, on every level is still blows my mind yeah, it, it makes sense it, it blows
0: my mind lars von trier has a documentary called the five obstructions no, um, not seen which that. i'd really recommend you watch um which is uh he had a film school tutor who was a director and had a short film that was a successful short film and basically the documentary is lars von trier goes back to his film school lecturer the director and challenges him to remake his own film five times a short film but each time he remakes Mm. it lars is going to give him some obstructions so the first obstruction is you have to go to cuba and shoot it on location because the original is in like a white sound stage it's like an infinite white cove go to cuba shoot it on location and no shot in the finished piece can last for longer than 12 frames, half a second. Wow. So it's cut, 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 wow. cut. So those are the obstruction. And so he then has to make the film and then show the film and then they talk about it. And then he gives him more obstructions. And without spoiling it, it's not really a spoiler. The one that's the hardest is when he says, okay, this time you have no obstructions, do what you want. And that's when it's like yes. you panic. Cause it's yeah. like, well, what do we do then? Yeah. Like, And I find that's the same with everything. Like with filmmaking, if you, okay, this is what we've got. And this is where we are. And we've got 45 minutes. How do we tell the story? Those obstructions, you end up being creative. You end up finding something way more interesting than if you had infinite time, infinite money, and mm. do something silly. So I often find that. And, and I had another example that's just sprung to mind is a um, Moonlight, um, mm-hmm. the Barry Jenkins film. I was mm-hmm. I was insanely fortunate to, to to meet him and chat to him. Nice. And one, he was talking about the schedule and how insane it was, and they only had um, what's her name, um, Naomi, Naomi um, Harris. <laughs> Yes. Thank you. And um, they only had her for two days I heard or three that. Yeah, days. Two, yeah, something yeah, some like of that. them really you know, small and she's in it. Insane. In um, and I'm sure you've seen the movie and yeah. you know, the story and it won an Oscar and, you know, uh-huh. and, and I, I was like, if you could have had more money and more time, do you think you'd have had a better movie? And he was like, no, absolutely not. Like right. all of those constraints, all of those restrictions created this environment where it was like, live or die, this has to be the best it can be. It's magic, and it just gives you that something. Mm. Um, and, you know, yeah, I mean, who knows what would have happened had they really had more time, more money. But that's. I just think filmmaking is, you know, so often when you're put in a corner, you find a creative way out of it.
3: And that, that's yeah. it. I think when you have too many variables, you're you're sort of lost in, in a world of creativity. It's when you start putting in specifics. I mean, that's why you know director or director of photography coming up with ideas and, and just you know fine tuning fine tuning and like honing the script down or the, or the film down mm. allows there's still this infinite you know space of, of ideas that you can do but but having those borders allow you to it actually sort of focuses your mind yeah. on coming up with ideas that work rather than like this kind of overwhelming idea of like well we could be doing anything yeah and then no one's on the same page. Yep. So it's that. Especially you know those challenges really do do help. Mm. What was the the hardest um, set piece on Last of Us? You know, was it maybe on that episode five? Ah, uh, well, yeah. I mean that that
0: cul de sac sequence. Um, you know, we so Jeremy, the director, um, and I we did we did episodes four and five together, and um, you, like I say, you've got a month prep a month shoot for each episode but the way we did it was we probably did six weeks prep for that eight minute sequence and two weeks prep, but for the rest of those two episodes like the cul-de-sac was such a technical exercise it was so complicated because we had to build that town on a back lot you know you've got you've got a truck smashing cars kids running explosion infected out of the ground there's so many moving parts and and we knew for the series it was the big infected action showpiece it was the one so we just really didn't want to let anyone down so you know we had like a model village all the characters we got to play with our little action figures and toys and cars and it really was that dumb like we would just be like okay here comes the car and it smashes here and they come from here Um, it really was yeah (laughs) and we would you know because craig's obviously got the scripts but but in in action you know he has all the story beats he has all the characters but when you read action it's it's you know plotting it is very different to reading it it's like okay physically how far apart are they and you know because we're building it all those distances have to be everyone has to think them through because we can't build the house and it'd be in the wrong spot so we would do our little action thing with all the noises and then we'd have to show this to 50 people around this model and then you've got the stunt people going well okay the car needs i hope you're still doing the noises oh yeah definitely uh <laughs> and suddenly but then you've got the stunt people saying okay we need a longer run-up The car to get to the certain speed, and okay, the kids can only run at this speed, and you know, suddenly you get the expertise from everyone else, and so this this make believe plan gets more and more and more real, and everyone adds their expertise, and you just keep going. Yeah, you just keep on. You know, uh, we talked about that sequence forever, storyboarded the heck out of it, storyboarded it again, Um, previs some of it with VFX. It was just a massive thing um and even just you know one small part of it like the lighting was the biggest lighting job i've ever done um we had to almost sort of reinvent a whole idea for the lighting um which was way out of my comfort zone there but again you just sort of figure it out with with experts and, and you react and you listen and you end up with something so yeah without question for me that was the hardest and um and also it's nights you know we're outdoors in the elements so it was four weeks of nights um it was a three weeks sort of shooting but four weeks of nights
2: it gets um, you doesn't it it's something weird oh, happens in yeah. that midnight hour and it's something happens yeah, at yeah. 3 a.m and 4 a.m everyone goes a bit crazy it's really Absolutely. weird isn't it to get your head around yeah. that whole world it's uh, mental yeah um this is, this has been mm. ace. I've really, really mm. enjoyed chatting to you. This has been so much fun, so much knowledge and Likewise. information for us. Man. Thank you. Thank you. Dom, do you want to ask your yeah. final question?
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, what was the advice you could give your younger self struggling in the industry? Um, have there ever been moments when you wanted to give up and you thought, if I'd just known this back then?
0: Well, uh, yeah, I, I think the, the the thing I truly believe and that is – I don't know if it's not even a, it's not a secret. It's not like everyone's different. Every approach is different. And the beauty of the film industry is it is a subjective art form. There is no, this is right. This is wrong. Not really. Um, and you know, at the beginning, I didn't go to film school. So there's a lot of sort of insecurity and imposter syndrome. So do I really know what I'm doing? Is this, but the, the great thing is uh, me as a DP right now, uh, if, if I had to shoot a scene, I would shoot it in a certain way the me 11 12 13 years ago would have shot it completely different both of them are me both of them one has more experience one has way less experience but the great thing about filmmaking is some people would like my version now and other people would like Mm. my version then and there is Mm. the only better or worse is subjective it's all subjective uh i'm only yeah we offer things you put that work out there and other people judge it and you just have to sort of realize there's no definitive right or wrong and lean into that so you know one example like of of going to uh, you know like being a carpenter and you could learn you could be told how to make a chair and you could Mm. this is how you make a chair and you'd make a chair and people go it's a chair i love it i'll buy it it's great you could also make a thousand chairs yourself not knowing what the heck what you're doing and you'll end up with a chair and some people would prefer this one. Some people prefer this one. Who's right? Who's wrong?
3: It's all art. And and that's what... Probably the chairman. <laughs> <Yeah>. oh, Jesus. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Literally, Jesus was making the chairs. As well. Carpenter. yeah
3: oh.
1: <laughs> But
0: that's the thing. It, it is, I, I think I'd just like, remind my younger self that like, what I was doing back then, some people would prefer We're to what valid. I'm doing now. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's the secret. It's just keep doing it. Keep trying. Keep being individual. Mm. Um, don't worry about formula. Don't worry about advice from people like me. Just do your thing and, and keep working. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> just don't worry. Don't you know, worry. Just, I love just it. Try, just it, so much for its ambition yeah. and trying. I think if you put yourself yeah. out there and you try and you have ambition, you'll make something that someone's interested in. And then, then things are out of your control. You know, the industry, money, all that stuff is a separate thing. And if you get too bogged down in that, uh, your work will become cynical and about something else. So. Um,
2: that's, that's, that's amazing. my that's yeah. Yeah. There you Very go. Nice. You can go out and do it. You know, be mm. proactive, get stuff done, make 150 short films, as Evan has done, <laughs> uh, and uh, have a career in this world. You know, no, but listen, if you, you're you lucky enough to rise up and do well, is your duty to... To send... The...
3: Elevator, elevator back, back down. down. Uh, this has been incredible. Unless it's, a, unless it's into a sort of a clicker invested basement, in which case, maybe. Yes, should,
2: it's unlikely, but. Maybe you should avoid yes. the elevator.
3: Maybe you should just go up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: But so you've still got to send it back down. This knowledge, Dom. And that's it's... when you can ask Marvel. There we go.
3: Yeah. <laughs> um, look
2: uh, yeah there you go everyone it's been a real pleasure it has been amazing go out there make your films be inspired by this make your TV Uh, yeah Yeah. make your TV whatever it is you want to do go do it Eben Bolter you're amazing thank you so much for your time been incredible thank Thank you
0: you. thank you both so much really enjoyed
2: it keep up the amazing work. I'll try cheers everyone bye bye thank you see you next Tuesday